Psalm 127. To continue the emphasis on the importance of children and the family and the home, I want to preach a message today entitled, The Blessing of Children from Psalm 127. We're going to read the entire psalm. I'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. I'm going to have you stand with me as we read God's Word together. Scripture says this, Unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless Yahweh watches the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early, that you sit out late. O you who eat the bread of painful labors. For in this manner he gives sleep to his beloved. Behold, children are an inheritance of Yahweh. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. They will not be ashamed when they speak with enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And may now as we walk through this passage, may this be, may this be setting up stones in our church as, as stones of memorial, of remembrance, of, of not only what we affirm, but what we commit to by your grace because of what you've done for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you will strengthen families, that you open our eyes and our hearts and illuminate through the Holy Spirit your truth, and that at the end that um, we will grow in our faith. And if there's one here who's never put their faith in Christ Jesus, that they would do that today before it is too late. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin today by just thinking about the fall, which I alluded to in the beginning, children, society, and the church. Earlier, when we began our dedications, I took a moment to to just simply recognize that there are painful situations that we might experience that are really outside of our control. It's a result of living in a, a broken world that has been affected by sin. However, the other thing that I think we need to emphasize today is that there is also real evil and violence that is inflicted against children filtered through the forces of entertainment, education, and politics. And what I mean is, just speaking plainly, this includes sexual liberation, child trafficking, homosexuality, LGBTQ+, transgenderism, pornography, and other demonic ideologies that now have not only common acknowledgement, but have common affirmation in the mainstream of our society. And that's all the way from Disney to Target. It's everywhere. It's all around us. We can't really escape it. But we do have to recognize it and recognize it that it is truly violence against children. All of those things. In fact, John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur makes this observation. He says, what we're facing today is fierce. I'll confess. But of all the things that disturb me in this culture, of all the horrific, sinful, wretched, wicked, corrupt influences that go in this culture, I think the thing that distresses me most is the war on children. 
This culture weaponizes or weapon, is weaponized to destroy children. It's systematically designed to do that. I think that's a very important point. And, and perhaps the pinnacle of this terror would be the evil of abortion. Today, politicians of one party have embraced abortion on demand at any time in pregnancy and for any reason, including right before birth. The other party is seeking ways to soften its position and accommodate our culture of death. It's just reality. Listen, let's just face it. We all know that abortion is the violent murder of unborn boys and girls. Everyone knows what is going on when it comes to abortion. I mean, we have 3D sonograms, and the reality is the very testimony of our own conscience, our own consciences reveals the truth of what's happening. I don't care how culture spins it. I don't care what politicians say. It doesn't matter how much we want to try to, to, to put a politically correct definition to it. The reality is we know the violence and evil that is there. And the pundits of our society want the freedom to kill because they are at war with God, truth, and reality. I don't say that with hostility because unbelievers will do what unbelievers do. But I think we need to be extremely clear in the church that what is really being pushed today is finally some of the veil is coming off and really what those that are for abortion are promoting is killing because they are at war with God, truth, and reality. Now, now let's bring in the church for just a moment. What is the primary role of the church? The primary role of the church is not political activism. The primary role of the church is the proclamation of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. And by preaching the gospel, the grace of God in salvation transforms human hearts Because there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. And even in the midst where we must be clear on what sin is, and we must be clear on calling out and naming evil, we also must be equally clear that there is a God who saves. And there is a God who forgives sin. And that would be any sin. And there is a God through His Son, Jesus Christ, in His death on the cross, in His resurrection from the dead, can make people new and, 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 and regenerate them and give them new life and change them completely. And so that's why we must be committed to the gospel. And when a person is regenerated, they will then come to hear the biblical truth about the sanctity of human life and the stewardship of children. Hear me, church. As the word is preached and taught, the family structure, no matter how dysfunctional because of sin, will be strengthened. And new believers will no longer be conformed to this world and their old way of thinking will be changed because Romans 12, 2, their minds will be renewed by the very Lord of Scripture. Now the reason I say that is because I'm not talking this morning to the culture. I'm not talking to people that may listen to this on the internet. I'm talking to this church. To, to you, to us, to us believers. And what I'm saying here this morning from this text, based in the, as we walk through this text, is that we are to think differently. We are to live differently than the unbelieving world. 
Not because we have moral superiority, but because we've experienced saving grace. And that's what has separated us. And so, even when I was a public school teacher, I would always seek to engage any of these issues from the angle of, listen, because God has saved me, and because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because now I believe the Bible is God's revealed word, and the Bible reveals all that God wants us to know about His will, this is why I think the way I think on these things. And so church, we need to be, we need to be, uh, built up in the word. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to preach the gospel. I want to strengthen you, the families in our church. And I want us together as a church to affirm divine truth, revealed truth by looking at Psalm 127. And here's the big banner of, of Psalm 127. The big truth, the key thing here is this. This psalm leads us to do this. We boldly affirm that children created in the image of God are the greatest blessing and greatest responsibility given to us for the sake of the gospel. I want us to affirm that today. Because that's what this text shows us. I want us to affirm that children created in the image of God are the greatest blessing and greatest responsibility given to us for the sake of the gospel. And so here as you open and you look at this Psalm 127, it's attributed to Solomon. And we know that his life at one point was a complete wreck. When we start walking, when I start preaching through Ecclesiastes, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And this Psalm can be divided into two sections or two stanzas or stanzas like a song because it was used in corporate worship in the life of Israel. I want us to glean from the first stanza two simple foundational truths that you need for your family and your understanding about children in human life. The first thing is seen in verse 1. Look at it. Unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless Yahweh watches a city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And so foundational truth number one is this. You need Yahweh, you need the Lord God who's revealed himself in Scripture and who's come to us in Jesus Christ. You need him to be the center of your life and family. That's the first thing. And he states in the opening of the text two fundamental tasks. The building of a home for a family and the protection of a city for the people. The builder and the watchman both have responsibility, but not severed from the centrality of the Lord. When it comes to your marriage, to our understanding of gender, and what our roles are as men and women, particularly in the home, when it comes to children and the family, you do not choose the design. You do not set up the priorities. You and I do not determine the outcomes. The Lord does. And if you disregard Him, then everything you do will be futile. That's what verse 1 is telling you. Your parenting will not make any eternal difference and tragically, you will lead your children to destruction if, you, if the Lord God is not the center of your life and family. This means that the gospel... And God's word must be central to your building plan. 
Your children must see that you trust in Christ, that you love the Lord, and His Word sets the agenda for your life and home, even when you don't like it, and even when you're wrong. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 7. What does He say? What does He say there? He tells, He commands the children of Israel to not only love the Lord to your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but they were to teach their children the truths that God had revealed to them. You need a God-centered vision for your home, for your family. I'll never forget when I first realized this. I had to reach seminary. I was seminary and my kids, I was in seminary. My kids were really little and uh, I was in, and I, I was in this class, this professor. It was like a God marriage family class. And this professor challenged us to have a God-centered vision for our family. And he told us, he said, you go home right now and you get a whiteboard and you write on that whiteboard that God and Christ, the, in Christ and the gospel are going to be the center of your home. And I'm sitting there. I've never been challenged on that level. And I'm just, yes, I agree. So Matt, what did I do? I went home. I got a whiteboard. I put it on the wall and I got all my kids together and my wife. I mean, my kids, they don't even know what's going on. Gabe's like under the, under the table, like playing with the dog. Isaac's got Toy Story toys and he's going, pow, pow, pow. and then Ellie's just sitting there staring. And Eden wasn't here yet. And I write this big thing on the whiteboard. The center of this home is going to be the God who has revealed himself in his word. They have no clue what I'm talking about. And then I looked at them and I said, because Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. I mean, it was just a life-changing moment. Of just like in, in my own just immaturity to suddenly realize like, no, this is real. God must be the center of everything. But the second thing you see here is that's foundational is this. You need to rest and rely on Yahweh in every endeavor. That's what verse 2 tells you. He says in verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up, that you sit out late. Oh, you who eat bread of painful labors. What he's telling you is what Ecclesiastes will tell you. That life in this weary, this weary world has been impacted by sin. And so you toil and you labor, you rise up, you go to bed, and ultimately all of it is vain. And what that means is not that it's meaningless, but it's temporary. It's breath is the literal translation of the word vain. Apart from Yahweh. All your labor, all your energy, all your hobbies, all your successes and achievements, all your college savings, all your memories, all your vacations are transient. That's what verse 2 is telling you. 100 years from now, none of it will be remembered. Does that mean it's all wrong? No. But what it means is, is they are breath. They're passing and they're disappearing. And that's why you must rely on God and trust in Him. Because as you live with eternity in view, your rest and ultimate comfort will come from the Lord. Isn't that what He says? He gives sleep to His beloved. He gives rest in their weary labor. He'll give you peace in the, in the long, difficult task of parenting and raising children or loving your spouse. He will give you rest. Peace, hope. Parenting is hard enough without thinking you're in control. And so you need to rest and rely on Yahweh in every endeavor. And so with those two foundational truths, right? That God needs to be the center. God and the gospel need to be the center of your home and family. 
And you need to rely and rest in him in every endeavor, particularly when it comes to the task of parenting. I want to now put three pillars about children on that foundation. Pillar number one is given to us in verse three. Behold, pay attention. That connects all of that laboring, all that stuff in the beginning. He's driving this to building a home. A family. It's the foundation for marriage. It's the foundation for children. It's the foundation for everything we do as believers. Pillar number one, children are a reward that we are given. That's the first thing he says. Behold, children are inheritance of Yahweh. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now that word inheritance or heritage, in some translations, will say it'll say heritage. Or it'll say gift. It goes back to Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28. And if you go back to Genesis 1, what does the Bible say? To What, what does the Lord God say to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26? He says this, and I'll read it, I'll read it to you. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that creeps on the earth. In those first three verses, you have a theology of male and female gender. You have a theology of sexuality. And you have a theology of the family. In those three verses. And so when you read in Psalm 127, Behold, children, inheritance of Yahweh, the fruit of the womb, a reward... What he's saying here is, is he is affirming that from conception to death, in each stage of life, every human being is created in the image of God, shaped and molded in the womb with an eternal soul by divine power. Psalm 139, you formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. And that is why, folks, there is inexplicable joy when we bring joy, when we bring children into the world. That's why even now, when we saw those children on stage, we, we oohed and we awed and we, we saw them not just because they're cute, but because we affirm that there's something unique. They're created in the image of God. And that's why there's unimaginable grief when we lose a child. They're image bearers. Gifts from our Lord. From our God. But notice that the text says beyond just an inheritance of Yahweh. Recognizing that God is the author of human life. Not us. And therefore we have no right to mess with that. Or violate that. But the text says that they're a reward. The fruit of the womb is a reward. One of the divine purposes of the marriage union and, and, and the intimacy that goes with it is bringing children into the world as God allows. 
And so the fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, now there are times as a parent, I don't feel like they're a reward. Just being honest. Sometimes they're a bit frustrating. Sometimes I'll say, can I trade them? And they'll say, can we trade you, Dad? I get it. And you might say, well, I just can't imagine that you would say that, preacher. Well, I just live in the real world, just being honest. But that is as much the sin in me as it is in them. Because the reality is, when I push through all that, the reality is, is that we are to receive them with thanksgiving. Because our generous Father has given them to us. The language here, inheritance, doesn't it invoke the idea of wealth? It's the idea that these eternal souls are make us more rich than all the gold or the silver or the stocks or bonds or whatever we could fill our life with. And so that's the idea. And so the truth applies from this pillar that children are a reward that we are given from God is this. Do you receive children as a gift from God? I'm not just talking about your own. I'm talking about just looking up here on stage and being able to say, what a gift. What a blessing. What a generous God we have. What wonder is the, is the, is, is the reality of human life and those that bear God's image? Are you able to say that? And sometimes we, it means receiving our children even with their imperfections or their challenges. Or in the case, some are just made with special challenges. And you have to say, God, thank you. Because they're uniquely made and given from you. Are you thankful for them? Not, not just in our homes, but church. Let's be thankful. I want every parent in this room to know your children are never a bother. I love that they're in here, in fact. I love that they're in here. It's a sign of a healthy church. The crying, the noise, the things that you think might disrupt people, it doesn't really affect me. What's that? Yes. <laughs> and so you, you, see, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I, I can remember years when my kids were little and they would be sitting up here just like up in the front row and they'd somehow, one of them would just make their way up here on stage. I'd be preaching. I'd just stop, I'd pick them up, take them back, hand them back off to Christy, get back up, keep preaching. On one occasion, I had to take one out and have a conversation, but that's another story. Your children are never a bother. And so you know what? Let's be thankful, church. Let's be thankful that they're here. It's a sign of a healthy church. So you married folks, keep doing what Genesis 1 says. Just keep multiplying till you're done, all right? That leads us to number two. Children are arrows we must guide. So, so pillar number one, children are a reward that we are given from Yahweh, from our God. But two, verse four, children are arrows that we must guide. Look at the text. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. A warrior does not just pick up sticks and put them in his quiver. He prepares the arrows for battle. And once ready, he aims the arrows, he puts it on the bow, he aims and he releases Parents, that's your job. There comes a point 
where you have to stop pampering them and start preparing them for the battles ahead. And I believe the earlier the better. I wrote these things down. This just comes from life experience. I'll give you four things about preparing arrows. Ready? Number one, they're not on the screen. I'm just giving to you for free. Discipline them with truth and love. Discipline them with truth and love. Talk openly about sin, about its power, about its guilt, about its consequences. Talk openly about death and hell and judgment. You must, because you're preparing them for eternity. Number two, not only discipline them with truth and love, teach them the Bible with the gospel of Christ at the center. Teach them the word. And above all, avoid moralism. Don't feed their self-righteousness. You can approve them without making them think that they can justify themselves by their morality or good works. We said in the beginning, they're sinners. And so there's never such a thing as, well, my kid would never. Right, and whatever other falsehood you want to believe. And so... You need to communicate that to them. Teach them the word. Number three, immerse them in the life of the church among God's people. My, my children would say, because I've asked them what, what's been the, I've asked them everything from what's been the most disappointing thing to where, where were our blind spots to what were the, what were the two most shaping things in your life? And I've heard one, when we would read scripture and talk about things in the home, teach the Bible in the home. Number two, the life of the church. Those are the two things that they would say have had the most impact in their life. And so immerse them in the life of the church among God's people. And then fourthly, shepherd them with grace and more grace and more grace. Be the prodigal's father. Never be the religious Pharisee. May they always know that whatever discipline there is, whatever truth it is you teach, that no matter where they go or what they do, you won't compromise what God has revealed in His Word, but you will always stand with open arms and open hands to embrace them in the grace and the glory of the Gospel of Christ. Always do that. Shepherd them with grace. And then, and as you do, brothers and sisters, what it keeps in mind is, is that we are all warriors for Christ in a real battle. And our children have been given to us like arrows for that battle. And so parents, you need to know your enemy well. Know your enemy well. And prepare them for the war against their souls. 30 minute drive from my house where I lived in Indiana to the school that they attended. Almost every morning, I mean from the time that they were just in childhood, we would listen to Albert Moeller, the briefing. And every time that Moeller would talk about any of these cultural issues, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, I would turn it up. And I would tell them, I want you to listen to that. And as they got older, it fed into real conversations Because I wanted them to be aware that there is a real battle going on for their souls. And so let's let's be faithful to that and raise up a gospel generation filled with the truth and the grace of God to impact the world for Christ. Aim them toward the gospel. 
Aim them toward godliness. Aim them toward glory. But make sure you have focused so that there is an aim. There is a target. You ever seen that movie, The Patriot? When Benjamin Martin's son gets, he gets taken captured by the British soldiers. And they're, they're taken, and uh, one of his sons, and so he grabs his other boys, and they go off, and they, they grab, he grabs guns, he gives them the rifles, they go off into the woods, they give it up on an embankment, and they're, they're going to ambush the British army who have the son. And he tells them, what does he tell them? Aim small, miss small. In other words, aim for a button on their coat, because if you can aim for that, you might miss it, but you'll still hit in such a way that it'll take the enemy down. Aim small, miss small. Meaning that we need to have a laser-like goal as we're raising kids. That's why I said, aim them for the gospel. Aim them for the eternal realities ahead of them. And then when you release them, it will be easy. Because you're not just sending them into the world, you have prepared them for the world. And not only for the world, but for eternity. For God, for his kingdom. I love what Martin Luther says. Listen to this. It'll be up on the screen. It is of the greatest importance for every married man to pay closer, more thorough, and continuous attention to the health of a child's soul than to the body which he has begotten. And to regard his child as nothing else but an eternal treasure God has commanded him to protect and so prevent the world, the flesh, and the devil from stealing the child away and bringing him to destruction. That's a pretty significant charge, isn't it? You're entrusted not just with a human life, but a human soul. Prepare that soul and aim them well. So the truth applied, what's the aim of your home and family? What is it? What's the aim of this church? Is our aim to raise the next generation? Is our aim to make sure that they are equipped with the gospel? That they know the enemy? That they know the truth? Is that the goal? Is that the aim? Are we committed to entrusting this next generation with the grace and truth of the gospel? Children are arrows that we must guide. So let's do that. They are also rewards that we've been given. But thirdly and lastly, thirdly and lastly, children are a joy that bring God glory. Look at the last verse. So like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man, happy is the man, who fills his quiver with him, that they will not be ashamed when they speak with enemies in the gate. Can I just jump to the end real quickly? See what preparing them does? They will not be ashamed. Even if they go astray, you put the truth in their heart. And you leave the outcome to God. But they know the truth. They've been given the truth. No matter how imperfect that might be. But in verse 5 at the end, they will not be ashamed when they speak with enemies. In other words, when the enemy comes against the values and the teaching of the father and the mother and the home... They will be able to speak the truth. Or at least they will know the truth. And so children though are a joy that bring God glory. And, 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 and so the world, even Christians sometimes, don't look upon children like this. A blessing. Happy is the man. I don't know how many times that Christy and I 
were asked when the kids were little, and we'd have all five of them trekking around with us. And usually, inevitably, occasionally, someone would make a snarky remark, and it would be, are these all yours? And I would smile and say, yes, all five of them. And, and usually they would say, like, the two of you. Oh, yeah, the two of us. And then that, that terribly snarky remark would be, well, you know, I can tell you how that happens. And then I would smile back and say, oh, I know how that happens. And then I'd say, would you like me to explain it to you? Since I have five of them. It's just, right, it's just that attitude of children are inconvenience. Children are not valued. And so we have to guard ourselves from that. Or, or remarks about motherhood. That somehow being a mother and having the responsibility of children classifies you as weak or mindless, barefoot and pregnant. Hinting that there's other more important things. That's a very demeaning way of looking at this, isn't it? See how we devalue? Let's be careful about that. Young people, encouraged to delay, delay, delay. Have fun. Make money. Don't have, ki- don't have kids or don't have too many. And while we should exercise wisdom informed by Scripture, we should value what the Bible values. And not only value what the Bible values, not value what the world values. Because the text just said what the true wealth and inheritance is. Investing in the souls of the next generation. How blessed, how happy is the man who fills his quiver with him. And this simply means that children, no matter the number, bring joy. That's the idea. If one does not have children, there might be grief or anxiety. But what we need to remember is that the joy, the peace, the fulfillment for the believer is in the Lord. Not ultimately our children. Not ultimately our spouse or anything else. Our salvation, our hope, our security as believers is in God who gives and takes away, as Job understood so well. So let us not forget that. However, our attitude, hear me church, our attitude and disposition should always be one of joy. Let us look upon children as even as Eve did after the fall. You remember what she said in Genesis 4? I've gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. Jacob said this to Esau about all of his children. These are the children God has graciously given your servant. Joseph. What did Joseph say? He told his father, they are the sons God has given me here. Look at that attitude, that disposition. And do you want to know why they were always joyous about offspring? You know why they were always joyous? Because they were always going back to Genesis 3.15. Through the seed of the woman, a son would be born who would destroy the serpent, bring salvation to sinners, and remove the curse of death and sin. Hear me on this last note. Every precious birth is a reminder of the greatest birth of all. Every sweet and tender and precious child is a reminder of the greatest child who ever walked the earth. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the wonder of the gospel. That God the Son would be robed in flesh, conceived in the womb by the Holy Spirit, born as an infant, raised as a child, die as a man, be raised from the dead, 
and offers salvation to all who believe on him. That is the ultimate God of life, the gospel. And so the truth applied is simply this. Let us give thanks to Yahweh for the children that God has given to us. But may that thankfulness lead us to the Lord Jesus Christ who humbled himself and took on the form of servant and died the death on Calvary so that we could be saved. And so I pray that these three pillars will shape our perspective. Children are reward that God has given us. They're arrows that we need to guide. And lastly, they're a joy that bring God glory. And so let's not forget that. So in closing, do you know why I need this message? Because the stresses of life and parenting make me forget these foundational things and these pillars. In fact, there are days that I wonder, is there any hope for them because of me? And then you'll get glimpses of hope. And I wanted to end with this note. I don't always do this, but I want to share something just that's a very personal to me that jarred me in my perspective. This was a note that was given, that was written, that my daughter wrote, my oldest daughter, when she left. And so, by the way, you know, you get a kid to graduate and you think like, okay, what's going to happen to them? Where are they going? To, are they going to remember anything? What about all the ways I failed? And she wrote this, and occasionally I go back to it. Not just for encouragement to me, but to give perspective about my wife and about my youngest son, Elias, and his needs. And here's what she wrote. She said, Dad, thank you for continually pointing me back to Christ and placing a strong biblical foundation in my life. Mom, you have shown me what a godly woman is to be in the roles of a mother. Through the thick and the thin, stressful and happy times of life, you have not only stayed faithful to your family, but ultimately to the Lord. To my siblings, I love you all so dearly and I'm thankful each one of you. And to my Elias, I'm thankful for everything about you. All the stresses you bring, all the trials, and just everything you are. You are uniquely, wonderfully made by the Lord. Man, when I read that, all I can often see are my failures. But what I see there, and I, I don't read that as boasting, and so don't take it that way because I want you to realize that this is a struggle, but occasionally you get a glimpse of the Lord is doing something, maybe in spite of yourself. Children are a heritage. I'm thankful for mine. I'm sure thankful for yours. And I'm thankful for this church that affirms this. So today as we close, do you place your faith in Christ? Do you? Is he the center for your life and for your home? Do you affirm, secondly, that all children are created in the image of God? Do you affirm that all children are the greatest blessing from the Creator? And do you affirm that children are the greatest responsibility given to us by the Lord? If so, let's aim them well. And let's be faithful, because they are a blessing. Let's stand. And let's prepare our hearts to respond to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the attention of these people here today. We've taken more time to try to lay this foundation from your word. 
And so, God, none of us have arrived at any of these truths. And so I pray, Lord, that you will remind us of what a blessing children are. And that we, no matter where we are in the spectrum of life, that we will commit ourselves to uphold what you've revealed in your word. Do your work in our heart. Fill us with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.